0: Welcome to the Sex, God, and Chaos podcast. A conversation built to help you address the mess, connect the dots, and defeat addiction. Doing your work matters because if nothing changes, then nothing changes. Life is tough and we're here to help. I'm your host, Ben Derrick, and as always, I'll be joined by Roan Hunter. Let's jump right in. Back again for another episode of the Sex God and Chaos podcast, I am never, ever <laughs> going to get tired of saying that.
1: It it is fun. I I uh, when we've spoken in different environments, uh, it's just fun to say that. But it's the most fun is when we get to say it in church.
0: Oh man, yeah, <laughs> it gets very quiet, doesn't it? More quiet than church already is.
1: Oh yeah, yeah. Although you do hear kind of the immature snickering and laughing, even. You can't say sex in church, you know. If the pastor says it, everybody kind of this nervous laughter because we're not very adult when it comes to sex.
0: Yeah, I thought you were about to say we're not very adult when it comes to pastoring. Looking right at me, yeah. My, my well, there is that. Yeah, my <laughs> former career. I think the people in my church would say, yeah, he wasn't very adult at that. That's uh, that wasn't his specialty, right? Yeah. So we've got a pretty spectacular uh, guest rolling out today who has had experience with betrayal mm. and the trauma, betrayal trauma. I mean, all that stuff. And boy, she's just very articulate uh, about her process of processing.
1: Yeah. Linda McDonald is, um, she's been around uh, this world for many years and truly is known as an, an, an infidelity expert. Uh, her book, how to help your spouse heal from your affair is um, is, I would say, an essential uh, resource for anyone that uh, has experienced that and even for therapists uh, that that work in this arena. Um, and she's just a wealth of knowledge and wisdom.
0: man. to hear her discuss uh, just that point of discovery and the reaction, and I think that's the thing. People who are living in, in secrecy—that's what they dread the most. Like, man, when this when this comes out, the reaction. And her point uh, in the mm. interview was that, hey, the larger the reaction, actually, that's better for you.
1: Yeah, what she said: the bigger the storm, uh, the better the, the result. Better the results, something like that. Yeah,
0: and I, I thought, you know, I, I really want our listeners to mm. be able to kind of put a mark there in the interview to say. That thing that we dread the most, which this is kind of connected to the healing work that we try to promote all the time, the thing that we dread the most is actually the thing that's going to help us the most. I found that really fascinating.
1: Oh, yeah. Um, Just so much that she offers in this episode, um, just distinguishing between what we would call sexual addiction or compulsion, Versus uh, an affair. Uh, she and I certainly agree on how much we do not like that word. We just have to use it. Right. Um, but, you know, there's just there's differences in those two things. And so I think that's important. And then just, you know, um, her own experience, uh, as you said, uh, you know, t- she's, she's done her own work around this as well.
0: All right. So, without further delay, here's our conversation with Linda McDonald.
1: Glad to have uh, Linda McDonald with us today on the Sex, God, and Chaos podcast. Uh, Linda, um, we've gotten to know her, and uh, boy, just a just a delight and and certainly a light in uh, in this arena that we work in. Uh, we came across her book uh, years ago. Um, uh it's called how to help your spouse heal from your affair um and it's one of those books that um i always say it there's there's meat on the bone um it is it is just an um excellent resource uh, when this stuff uh, when infidelity shows up in the form of an affair and so linda welcome glad you're here um always good to just uh, uh get your wisdom um uh, from somebody that's done this work for many years
2: well thank you ron yeah i've appreciated getting to know you better and i loved your book sex god and chaos and i've got it on my website advertising it because i want people to get it so you guys did a great job
1: yes uh, thank you and uh, like i say we we reference yours often um you know um in in another uh, podcast that we did together, one of the things that was just uh fascinating to me was kind of how you got into the, doing this work and And I would say that you are you're you're um one of the infidelity experts in our field. Um, if you don't mind, just tell us how you kind of um, got into doing this work,
2: sure, sure yeah i um was raised in an alcoholic home, and my parents deeply loved each other, but my dad uh, was addicted, and I always felt like we were competing with the alcohol, and it it felt like a type of infidelity, and I always wanted my parents to be able to work things out. I was grateful they never divorced, but I was totally embarrassed about my dad's drinking. And uh later on I'd been a dental hygienist for a number of years and decided I'd really rather do counseling. I was doing volunteer counseling for my church. And uh from the get go, I just seemed to have a special interest and knack for working with people involved in affairs. I wanted people to be reconciled when it's possible. And I was rooting for them. I and so I I um yeah so I started doing that from the get go from graduating from school and and have done it the whole time i've I've done counseling, which is thirty three years so
1: there's some there's some wisdom and experience there um, and and so I know you were you had kind of engaged in this work and and then um, kind of something hit home for you um and uh, you you had to do your own work. Um, uh, yes. I love, I love well, that part of your story as well.
2: Thank you. Yeah. Well, I had, um, felt like I was being fairly successful, helping couples work it out. And, um, and then about 13 years into my marriage, I'd already been an infidelity specialist and my own husband had an affair and I think he assumed because I helped people work it out that he could dabble and he knew how I would take him back if he was really sorry. The problem was it changed him. And so that has been a heartbreak. So it has added to my empathy for people going through this and a new understanding of the depth of the trauma. And uh, so then I expanded my work into helping individuals who are forced into. An unwanted divorce after infidelity. So even though I still had a heart for helping people work it out as a couple, um, even more so because my own experience was so devastating. Mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah.
1: Um, you know, uh, tell that uh, you, you on the on the other uh, podcast we were on. Um, tell that story of the the lady that came up to you after the conference, and she. Um, she was talking about her mother who had gone through it had experienced betrayal um I, I I have I have repeated that uh, to people many times um, Oh really that oh, are That's stuck. interesting You know those yeah. those partners that are stuck in that place of just angry and um can't can't move forward uh, I just think it's a great great story
2: Well thanks Yeah I I'd, I'd been uh at this point divorced for over a year, and I'd started dabbling in the, the dating world and uh, still feeling very disconnected inside. I felt like I was a robot that I'd had all my wires pulled out. And uh, anyway, but I went on this date to a media bistro party, and everyone there was in some aspect of media, whether it was photographers, journalists, radio talent, all kinds of people. And I really didn't fit in, but everybody had to have something on their name tag that said what part of media they were in. So I wrote down author and I had a journalist because I was working on a book and I had this journalist walk up to me and she says, oh, what kind of writing do you do? And I said, well, I'm working on a book for um, betrayed spouses who go through an unwanted divorce. And she goes, oh, my mother went through that. And I said, really? I said, how's she doing? And she said, oh, she's doing terrible. She's an alcoholic. She's got her blinds drawn. She's totally depressed. Won't go anywhere. And I said, how long ago did that happen? And I'm thinking five years, right? She said, 20 years ago. And all I saw the whole rest of the night in flashing lights, 20 years years. I'm going to feel like this for 20 years. And I just was haunted by that. And it motivated me to realize I'm not just going to heal automatically. Time is not going to be enough. I will need to be intentional about my recovery. So I delved into a lot more inner work lot more journaling, um, got some counseling, got some prayer therapy, all kinds, everything I could get my hands on because I knew it wasn't going to be automatic. And I think especially people that have been through the trauma, they really need uh, someone that is a trauma-informed therapist. The a couple of the therapists I saw were great people, and it was nice to have the emotional support, but the real in-depth healing did not happen until I Had someone that knew what to do with trauma, so I'm grateful for that. Mm -hmm. But I knew it wasn't going to be automatic. So, uh, oh yeah,
1: yeah. We often say, you know, time time doesn't heal; time just reveals. Um, Ah, And if that's a good saying, if I don't do the work, then I'm 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 probably not going to get very far. Yeah, Um, I'll just stay stuck and. Boy, that, that just, I love that story because it's illustrative of, you know, so many partners. Um, and just, you know, for listeners, our listeners, you know, partners is the term that we use for the one that's been betrayed. And, and, you know, Linda, when you're working with, you know, just talk a little bit about the differences that you see in working with a male partner versus a female partner. When it's been the, you know, if the wife is betrayed uh, in working with the man uh, as the partner?
2: Yes. Um, I would say that the men are a little bit more disturbed about the physical part of the affair, and the women tend to be more uh, engaged in knowing the emotional part, you know, and both are affected by the lies. Trust that is shattered like that is pretty un. you know, pretty devastating, but but they seem to each focus on where their greatest injury is. It isn't that men aren't don't care about the emotional aspect that can be very threatening. Um, statistically, from my understanding, talking to Dr. Shirley Glass, as she said, men tend to be a little less forgiving than women are, and I don't. I don't know if that's because women are just more dependent financially, care of the kids. Uh, Their value is so much even higher in the relationship than it is like their work, where men, a lot of times their identity is in their work first and their marriage is second. But um, yeah, that's just been a general difference that I've noticed. Um, Both of them tend to want to know details. Uh, about what happened. I would say the men focus on the physical details. I think they're just more territorial, you know, and they're visual. And so the visuals get to them maybe a little bit more. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Um, But, but both people end up very injured and uh, it takes a, I've worked with people though on both sides that do recover um, and work on their marriages when they've got a willing uh, string partner that, as a turnaround so i'm I'm big believer in second chances when it's possible
1: oh yeah we, yeah, yeah I I certainly concur with you in just that whole there, there's some nuances certainly between the betrayed male partner and the betrayed female partner and I think it's, it's just part of that's the created design you know Eve was created for relationship and uh, that that's why she showed up so it's in her DNA and Oftentimes you know I think um a a woman that's been betrayed will get labeled very quickly as a you know she's just codependent she should leave him yeah. when the reality of it is um you know because of the created design going back to the beginning, she's just wired for a relationship and she yeah. will stick longer uh than than the man will because you know us men we're mostly just fancy dirt, and so we'll we'll bail pretty <laughs> quick, right. Uh, but, but I'm sure you've seen it, you know, just wives will hang in there. Um, yeah. and not that, you know, I think it, 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 they shouldn't when there's, you know, the continued abuse or acting out. Uh, but they, when, when, when the man is doing his part and he's, he's willing and he's repentant and, uh, and actually doing his work, you know, she'll, she'll hang in there with him. Um, but, um, when the roles are reversed sometimes it's um it's men will bail pretty quickly yeah um and so talk about the difference you know because i even i are you know csat therapist certified sex addiction therapists and and i think i've told you before i don't i don't really like the term uh sexual addiction i've got two certifications in that and and i are one uh i'm been in recovery, you know, for my own sexual addiction for thirty-three years, but but the term that we prefer really is sexual brokenness, uh, uh. because you know when you say sexual addiction or even somebody that's dealing with a one-off affair, uh, that that's very different uh, than something that's compulsive um, and repeated and patterned. Um, and you know, I always say it's like I, I don't have a hammer looking for a nail. Uh, because this thing comes in a lot of, you know, it's like Baskin Robbins. You know, it's thirty-one wonderful flavors. So, talk about just the differences and in, in kind of how you work with that um, in when it is different.
2: Yeah, I would say when it comes to an actual super compulsivity, uh, I tend to refer them out to a CSAT specialist um, because it is has a different nature to it. I would say it's. It's less personal. Um, usually, the person isn't as emotionally attached to the person that they're acting out with, or the, you know, the visuals or whatever their their drug of choice is, than somebody who's involved in an affair. There's usually um, a lot of times an emotional component to it, especially if it goes on for a while. They think they're in love or they've found their soulmate, and uh, so there's a lot of. A different kind of deception, but both do affect the pleasure centers of the brain, which is where that uh, hit comes from. Affairs have an addictive quality to them, but they're—it's not—not as personal. At least that's been my observation. And I would say sex addicts are a lot less likely to want to leave their marriages than uh, somebody who's had an affair and thinks they found their soulmate, because a lot of times. They're just looking for some sort of salve for a midlife crisis, depression, undealt with grief, a buildup of unresolved conflict. There can be a whole lot of reasons behind it, um, where sex addiction, um, it is sexual brokenness, and a lot of times it, it really preceded the marriage. Um, I, I have found that people that tend to get involved with pornography, for example, started when they were 10, 11, 12, 13. And so the uh, way of coping and self-soothing gets pretty embedded and they need a specialized kind of help. Where someone who's involved in an affair, it may have been preceded by maybe some pornography. Um, There's a 300% increase in someone having an affair if they've been involved with pornography, according to the research I've read. So it can be a precursor, but generally... Yeah, there's there's a whole lot of complex idealism that goes in it. Uh, they <laughs> and then the rationalizations to justify it seem to be a, a little different. I think there's a lot more shame with a sex addiction or a sexual compulsivity because there's yeah, there's a lot more shame where I'd say somebody involved in an affair tends not to feel shame that it doesn't overwhelm them in the way that I think it does somebody that's got a compulsive issue that they're hiding. Not that there's not hiding with an affair, but the elation with an affair, the idealism that Shirley Glass calls it the positive mirroring of the self. You look ideal Mm. in the eyes of this other person and you think, Oh my goodness, you know, this is so great. You know, I found my, my um ideal connection and and really it's just that initial idealism that comes with falling in love except that it's increased because secrecy and barriers actually elevate those those pleasure centers of the brain the chemicals there to a higher degree than it's even possible in an open honest dating or marriage relationship and no long-term marriage can compete with that the person has to somehow come down from the high, uh, and that's where the spouse finding out about it, their reaction can make a big difference. I know for me, I was so lulled into thinking it was just a crush and the gradual revelation of understanding the depth of it softened my reaction where people that have had like an instant discovery, if the spouse that's betrayed shows a lot of self-respect and, you know, throws the phone down and starts crying and has a fit, um, that actually has a better chance of waking the person up out of their their affair fog. Uh, so um, there's a saying that goes, the bigger the storm, the better the results. And so that initial reaction on the part of the betrayed can actually help, although no no person can control another person's will, no. you know, we all have free will. Um uh, but anyway, I just throw that in as a mm-hmm. kind of an aside.
1: Oh yeah. Well, uh that that little segment that you just went through, uh I'm we're going to we're going to clip that and put that on our website because uh what a great description of the differences um and one of the things that you said which is so true that like when it's kind of when it's compulsive uh, and addictive behavior, uh, and I see this, and it was a case in my own journey of like I I did not want to lose my marriage. It had nothing to do with my wife. Uh, that was not um, not part of it on any level. And um, and that is I won't say always and overgeneralized, but typically that that is the case. Yeah. And then you know, wives have such a hard time understanding that. Yes. Uh, that somehow you know, it, it. And you know, you want to personalize it, and it's about you, and you're not enough. But that's, oh well, they that's think
2: just, they're competing with some porn star, you know, <laughs> and, and it yeah. has nothing to do with it, their looks zero. or any of that stuff. But they feel so. In all cases, the betrayed feel very inadequate. But I, I would say that in the case of compulsivity, the person it's not personal it's just Mm -mm. they want to get off and they're coping in a really unhealthy way so
1: oh yeah yeah and and then you know the affair piece is and i always say i just i i I hate that word right because it just sounds so romantic and so yeah
2: that's true because you talk about a love affair oh it's just
1: great yeah but i always like i just want to call it well they had an adultery let's call it what it is right yeah yeah, um, because it just sounds Hollywood romance version. Um, yeah,
2: no, I, I, I agree. There is one thing I've noticed, though, in an affair is because the person is caught up in that affair fog, they rationalize. They, they reach a point of cognitive dissonance where, you know, uh, where it feels really good, even if it goes against their values. And the two opposites start clashing those poles in their minds. And a lot of people go with their feelings instead of their principles. And then when they do that, they have to rationalize and, and explain away. And so that's when the blaming of the spouse, I, I never, I'm not sure I ever loved you, those kind of things. And then the what they call rewriting the marital history comes along. And all of a sudden, looking back, they have all these proofs of the down times in their marriage, and they just can accordion them together and forget about all the good times. And then pretty soon, they're blaming the spouse for their dissatisfaction, when uh, really, it was just a real relationship. It doesn't mean that there were no problems. There's no two perfect people that are married to each other. Everybody has things to work through, but it gets out of proportion. And that's another devastating thing that happened to me is my husband completely rewrote our marital history to something I didn't even recognize. And, um, I found that rather devastating because it's like, Was I married to the same person? How come we were saying "I love you" to each other every day? You know, it was just was it's a very mind-bending experience, and it goes into that gaslighting thing that Mm -hmm. I know we've talked about, where people try to invalidate the other person and their suspicions or their feelings, and uh, and that's also very disorienting to the betrayed betrayed spouse. Hopefully, if they've got a good therapist, they can. Knock them out of those rationalizations and bring their feet back to ground. And when they do, they um, it, it can there can be amazing things that can happen in the repair process. But until they deal with that stuff, they they won't.
1: Oh yeah, it's you know that infatuation stage that occurs in any type of affair. Um, it it you you really are chasing a feeling. Right. Because yep. in long-term relationship, it's just that that's not part of it. Right. Um, and so we you know, get sucked into that and the, the feelings and everything that's going on in the brain. And, you know, those, I don't know, you, you may know the statistics on, you know, uh, affairages, as, as I like to call them. Uh, but I think the percentage of those actually uh, making it are pretty darn low.
2: Let's see, 90% of affairs don't end up in a long-term marriage, and of the ones that end up in a marriage, 75% of those fail. So if you put those statistics together, that an affair really only has a 3% chance of making it in the long haul. Um, yeah. Which is pretty but, dim.
1: <laughs> yeah. That, yeah, it's not very hopeful. But boy, yeah. trying to like somebody that's caught up in that, um, it, it boy, they, they, they'll deny that. They don't want to hear that. Yeah, because they wanna justify it.
2: Well, and their their feet don't come down to reality until it's in the open, they're in now living with the person or whatever, and then reality starts to kick in over time. So um, yeah. So, oh
1: yeah it it's it's just amazing how um pretty predictable the course of an affair goes yeah. um and where that where it winds up, but it is amazing how you lay that out for somebody and they'll just they're gonna go do it anyway,
2: yeah, um, yeah
1: terminally <laughs> unique or something right yeah. smarter than the average bear, yeah yeah, yeah, <laughs> oh yeah, and so um And just in your own work, uh, because just in working with partners, uh, so often, uh, as you talked about the 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 lady that was uh, stuck for twenty years, um, you know, so often a partner gets stuck in that place of just whether it's anger and depression or depression and anger, uh, or or all of the above and the grief cycle. Because I mean, it's such a grief process. Because Billy, you've you've a lot has been lost, right? Your whole world has been shattered. Uh, Everything that you thought was real uh, is not. And when this stuff breaks out, the person I was married to that I thought I knew, I don't even know who who he is or who she is. And and like just working with someone um, that's going through that grief cycle. Uh, What, what would you say, Linda, is is some of the, are the key factors in moving uh, through that?
2: Um, One of them is just understanding the dynamics of affairs. And so they don't take it quite so personally, Mm. understanding the changes in the brain chemistry that, um, and that secrecy and barriers raise that to a level that they can't compete with. Um, So I work, with them on that, not taking it so personally. Um, there's a lot of shame with the rege- that comes with the rejection. It's a, there's a, it's a stigmatized loss. It's closer to suicide. Like if your spouse committed suicide than if your spouse just dies you know, of an illness or whatever. So there's shame and stigma. Uh, you begin to wonder what's wrong with me? Why couldn't I keep my spouse faithful? Which is an illusion. That's really up to the individual. You can't make someone have an affair. Uh, I always tell people, you didn't put a gun to their head and say, "Go have sex with your secretary." You know, Pittman, Frank Pittman used to say, "You can't make someone have an affair if they don't want to." (laughs) And so, um, so I try to depersonalize it and talk about individual responsibility. Um, But it is an opportunity for growth um, the, uh, I think of it as closer to complex grief. You know, they talk a lot about complex grief now, and it's just now made it into the DSM-5-R. And, um, I think this is a form of complex grief. And I, I'm hoping someday that people make more of that connection because it's, it's a complicated type of grief to recover from. So I encourage people to grieve, um, very specifically about all their losses, um, and to do it with another person that they know cares about them, whether it's a sibling, a therapist, uh, a best friend. There's something about having your, experiencing your grief in the presence of another person, and also with the Lord, trusting that God understands betrayal like nobody's business. Uh, he knows what it's like to have, to be betrayed by your friends, your closest friends at your greatest moment of need. He knows what it's like to actually feel abandoned by his father. And, um, I, I just believe that there's comfort to be found just in knowing that Jesus is the ultimate betrayed person in the universe, um, And so, um, we talk about that and getting comfort from that, um, overcoming the self esteem issues, um, that takes some work because we do take it personally and we think it's about us. And we, I just try to point out that's just one person's vote. This is one person that chose to go a different direction. That doesn't mean everybody will think that you are unlovable. That was my biggest battle was feeling unlovable. And, uh, so I needed to have that sense of lovability rebuilt. And that was through connection with other people. And it was also in my relationship with the Lord. I, I just found scripture to be like diamonds to me in my recovery process. Um, you know, Psalm 34, where it says the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves those that are crushed in spirit. And the word crushed kind of indicates, if you look up the original, it's like being crushed to powder, like just decimated. And so the Lord is near to the brokenhearted, and he saves those that are crushed in spirit. And I held on to that. Um, and uh, I, I do think that people that have faith in God have an advantage in their recovery process versus people that do not have that. Uh, so I've been grateful to be able to work with a lot of Sadly, Christians who've been through this experience and know that they have that resource avail available to them, the other thing i I know I determined to make my process an honest one. I wasn't gonna fake it, so I was pretty mad at God, and uh because I was sure that this man was the the person God brought into my life, and that this person then suddenly decided this other woman was who was. God's gift to him at the time. He didn't end up marrying her. But anyway, I I just really went through a crisis of faith. And, and yet, just like Peter, you know, when Jesus was saying some hard things and Jesus asked the disciples, will you go away too? And Peter says, to whom would we go? You alone have the words of life. And I knew that as mad as I was at God for feeling let down. On the other hand, he was my only source of healing and I knew I had nowhere else to go. So, I'm grateful for that <laughs> mm-hmm. because God has been such a comfort to me in rebuilding my life and my identity and my sense of value as a woman and um just that it wasn't the end of my story. And I had somebody once tell me that someday you're going to like yourself better down the road. And I, I thought, no way, I'm ruined. I'm wrecked. And I would say I like myself better. You know, I've I've grown. I've grown in my relationship with the Lord in a way that could never have happened without that extreme abandonment and rejection. And also, I'm just a lot more compassionate. <laughs> you know, I I could sympathize with my clients that had been through affairs and uh, and all that, but I, I my empathy just grew like leaps and bounds, and and we know that from scripture that mm-hmm. that we are able to offer compassion when we've received that compassion from the Lord.
1: Wow, beautiful, beautifully shared. Uh, love it. Uh, Eva always says, you know, uh, pre recovery uh, in in our journey. You know, I was I was her cake, right? And like friends were the icing, and 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 God was kind of the cherry on top. Well, uh, after recovery and and you know over the years, you know, uh, God is her cake, and, and her friends and uh, and support and um, uh, it, it, that that's the icing, and uh, family certainly. And then you know, I'm just the cherry on top. So that's great. Everything has changed.
2: (laughs) Well, and I think in my case, I actually, it was a form of idol worship. I Mm. idolized my former husband in an inappropriate way. And when he fell off his pedestal, I I was without direction. I just thought my whole life as a therapist that specialized in infidelity, my being a wife and a mom, I just thought it all was gone. And, um, and, 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 you know, I'm, I'm happily remarried. I married a really kind and wonderful godly man, um, but he's, he's not on the pedestal. Mm-hmm. I respect him, but I just don't revolve my whole identity and life around him to that degree, And uh, because God is my number one. Yeah, like you say.
1: So you know, I I often say, you know, of course, us men, you know, we've we've got the the porn fantasy, and we get exposed to that stuff stuff way too early, and I believe that you know, female fantasy is like those stories of Snow White Cinderella yes. and Sleeping Beauty, right? The the knight on the white horse is going to come kiss you and you know take you away and live happily ever after, and I tell wives often like. You Know what you really get is like you get a drunk guy riding a donkey backwards, you don't get <laughs> the knight on the white horse that, that's that's reality, right? Uh, yeah, but that's that's a fantasy and that's that idealism. Is. Um, yeah. and and you know, wives will compare husbands to the pastor and yes. always, always tell them, I'm like, look, I know that guy, and um, yeah, he's he's just the Wizard of Oz, you know. <laughs> <laughs> it's the little man behind the curtain up there. Uh, don't compare your husband to yes. any other husband. Deal with what you got.
2: You know? Oh, it's so easy to do. And in the <laughs> movies, you know, oh, that, yes. I don't sure. know if anybody watched that show, This Is Us. Everybody thought that the husband there was just the best husband. And, you know, oh, yeah. it's just easy to do that. And it's not, it's not reality. So, no.
1: yeah, um, we always say, you know, you know, M. Scott Peck said, good mental health lives in reality is a relentless commitment to living in reality uh, but I believe it's a it's, it's good mental emotional and spiritual health you know lives in reality yes um, so Linda it has been great uh, gosh just I uh, love just our time together and um, love your wisdom your experience and uh, you're one of those people that's just you know like I said at the beginning a light in this world Um uh. And, and certainly, um, just, you know, the, the, your love of the Lord shines through uh, every time we sit together and love that about you. Um, and so, um, tell people, like, if they want to get in touch with you um, or buy the book, uh, point them in the right direction.
2: Sure, sure. My um, website is Linda, in Linda J. McDonald. I put the J in there because there's a fabric uh, person that is Linda McDonald. So it's lindajmcdonald.com. And then the uh, book is How to Help Your Spouse Heal from Your Affair, A Compact Manual for the Unfaithful. And it's a short book. It's good for the self-help phobic. I've had a lot of people that wouldn't pick up a bigger book, Mm -hmm. but it's a manual and it's simple and i've had a lot of letters from all over the country of people that felt like it was a corner turner it's like their eyes began to open and they got motivated uh to to try and heal their marriages and to become a successful rebuilder so
1: oh yeah yeah that um i, I love the fact that it is a compact manual because you know some of these self help books it's it's like reading war and peace or something and <laughs> especially when you're in crisis you know you can hardly uh read the 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 headlines you know on your phone or something and so uh man like i said uh, at the beginning it's it is it is compact but boy it, there's a lot packed in it it is excellent Thank and you. It, there's one thing that you say in there kind of the number one indicator um of like you know successful rebuilders, uh, and I I I quote this I, I say it all the time because I think it is the one thing that's gonna like whether or not the marriage will survive this or or make it through it, and that one thing is humility, hmm. and and if humility is not present, then you just you need to be on high alert because that's what yes. that's what has yes. to be present.
2: Yes. Yeah. No, humility makes all the difference.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you so much. Yes. And uh, we will, um, I'm sure we'll be um, having you on again. Okay. Uh, love, love our time together. Okay. Thanks, Linda.
2: Thanks so much, Ron.
0: To learn more about what you've heard today and to engage with the Sex, God, and Chaos team, visit sexgodchaos.com.